Good morning. few weeks ago, Brian said, I'm going to take a little vacation to the elder board. And he says, which one of you would like to fill the pulpit? Well, a few days passed, and I said, if nobody else wants to, I'll do it for you. So here I am. Today we're going to be a little bit different. We're going to talk about the heroes of the Bible. I've only got about five of them to, to talk about today, so it's not going to be a real in-depth look at them. It's going to be more of why they are heroes in the Bible. What are the characteristics, what are the things that made them heroes? My definition of a hero is an ordinary person chosen, chosen to do extraordinary things. All right, the first guy on my list is Noah. He's in Genesis. And I encourage you to look these up. Check me out. Make sure I'm not telling you something that's not true. He's picked by God to big, build a big boat. They hadn't had any dinghies yet, let alone a boat. And this boat is not just a boat. It's a ship. It's 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. Now, how do you build something like that when you have no tools, no scaffolding, and no crew? That seems like pretty impossible odds to get done. But Noah didn't argue. Noah and his sons were considered righteous in God's eyes because they hadn't done all the stuff that everybody else was doing. And they were pretty corrupt. We think things are bad today. It had to be a whole lot worse back then that God was willing to destroy everything and start over. So Noah and his sons built the boat. Don't know how long it took. I'm sure it wasn't a weekend project. And the time came, God supplied the animals. And Noah and his Sons and their wives all got on board the boat. And the skies opened up. Now, we've had a couple of nice rains in the last while. And the skies opened up a couple of times in there. But nothing like this. I mean, I can't imagine how much it is pouring. How hard the rain had to be coming. And in addition to that, he opened up the springs under the sea. And he floods the entire earth. Now, Noah and his wife and his kids and all these animals are on the boat for, anybody know how long? Want to guess? Twelve and a half months from the time they entered till the time they finally started departing the boat. That's a long time. And I, I don't think they had a motor on the boat. They didn't have oars. Who's going to run them? So Noah's pretty trusting that God's going to take care of what God said he would do. And after a while, they depart the boat to repopulate the earth, both man and animals. Which brings us down the road considerable to Abraham and Sarah. You find them in Genesis 12. 
Abraham lived in a land called Ur, I think it was, in the city of Haran. And God came there, or Abraham, and said, I want you to take everything you have. Take your wife, all your possessions, and I want you to go someplace you've never even heard of before. Nor do you know how to get there. But I'll show you. I'll show you how to get there. At this point, Abraham was probably about 75 years old, about as old as I am now. I'm not looking to make a lot of big changes. But he's making the biggest one of his entire life at that point. But he picks it up and he moves. Ends up in the land of the Canaanites. Along the way, God had promised this Abraham that he would become the father of a great nation. And he's getting to be in his 80s now. And he still has no kids. Sarah's barren. Well, having kids in that time frame, and sons especially, was super important if you were going to be recognized as a great man. So Sarah says to Abraham, take my handmaiden Hagar and we'll have children by her. Well, that isn't exactly what God had in mind. But they had Ishmael, which proves to be a problem down the road. And when Abraham and Isaac, or Abra when Abraham was 99 years old, God came to him and, and Sarah and said, this time next year you will have a son. 99 and 90, and we're going to have a baby? No wonder Sarah snickered. But it happened. And out of that birth comes Isaac. Now Isaac is a good son. And Abraham is told by God to take him to a place far away, to a mountain where they worshipped, and sacrifice him to the Lord. After you've waited 99 years and now this kid is probably five or six years old, you want me to kill him? To sacrifice him like the heathens around us do? Abraham had to be a little confused. But he didn't falter. He took Isaac and he went. And he said, I don't know, I don't know. Somehow God's got something in mind. Even if I kill him, he'll bring him back to life, whatever. But I'm, I'm going to trust the Lord. And before he can sacrifice Isaac, God provides a ram caught in the bush. But Abraham obeyed. He trusted God. And because of that, Isaac becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel through Jacob. And Joseph, the, youngest, uh, the 11th son of of. Uh, <coughs> Jacob is who I want to talk about next. Now, Jacob was a bit of a dreamer. Most of his dreams coming from God, I believe. And God and, and Jacob seemed to love him the most because he was the son of Rachel, his true love. 
and the other kids were all from his other wife or concubines. And the older brothers were all a bit jealous of Joseph and his coat of many colors and his dreaming. And one day he came out to see the brothers and they decided they were going to kill him. They were sick of it. But Reuben managed to convince them not to sell him, not to kill him, but they sold him to the Midianite traders that were coming through. And Joseph ends up in Egypt. Joseph gets to Egypt and he ends up in Potiphar's house, one of Pharaoh's chief commanders. He's doing everything right, doing exactly what he needs to do, and he's gaining favor. But then Potiphar's wife decided she wanted, a, wanted Joseph for her own particular private desires, but he wouldn't do it. And so he ends up thrown in prison. No fault of his own. He was only doing what was right. But he ends up in prison. And while he's there, Pharaoh's chief candle maker and his chief cook, chief baker, get thrown into prison because they made Pharaoh mad. They didn't really have to do anything wrong. You just got to make them mad, you know. And they were having a dream, a couple of dreams. And Jacob, or I mean, Joseph interprets those dreams for him. The one dies, and the other one goes back to Pharaoh's court. And sometime later, Pharaoh starts having some dreams, horrible dreams. And he can't figure out what's going on, and neither can anyone else in his land who are supposed to be interpreters can figure it out. Now the chief baker who was there remembered Jacob and uh, remembered Joseph in his dreams and how he had interpreted them for him. And so he told Pharaoh about it. And Joseph is called to interpret the dreams. But that's not good enough. He didn't just interpret the dreams. He has to tell Pharaoh what the dream was first. And then what the meaning of that dream is. And because Joseph is able to do so with God's help, he becomes the second in charge in all of Egypt. Now he goes from being the pauper in prison to the second most powerful man in Egypt. Oh, big deal. Well, it is to Joseph's family because that dream was about poverty and famine coming on the land and what they needed to do to escape it. And Joseph got it done in Egypt. And along comes David or Joseph's family because they were starving in the land of Canaan to buy food. <coughs> In that process, David reunites with his brothers 
And they didn't realize the first trip over that it was Joseph until he told them the next time. And out of all of it, Joseph saves his family. That was, that was Joseph's revenge. <laughs> he saved his family. They all moved to Egypt and were favored by the Pharaoh because of Joseph. There were only 70 people, including Joseph and his family, that came to Egypt. Now, some 400 years later, living under captivity, because the friendly pharaohs had all died, and now the Hebrews are in the millions in population, pharaohs are scared of them. They end up in slavery. Moses comes along, put in the reed basket in the river to keep him alive because Pharaoh had decreed any of those male child should be dead. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, raises Moses as her own child, and he raises to become the second in command in Egypt. Funny how God works, huh? What well, seems like sometimes it's nothing but heartache and soul-clinching stuff, he turns it into good stuff. But along the way, Moses sees an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, and in the process, he kills this Egyptian. Now he has to flee. So he runs to the land of Midian, and there he finds his wife, and has a family. And a little while later, in Exodus 3, God calls him from the fiery bush, the burning bush that's never consumed. Poor Moses, just an old shepherd boy, been a second in Egypt, happy to be just a shepherd boy. And now God wants him to do, to go back to Egypt where they want to kill him or did, might not even know he existed now anymore. And he has all kinds of reasons not to go. I don't speak well. I don't do this well. I don't do that well. God says, don't worry about it. I got you. Go. And so he does. And of course, he, God told Moses, they're not going to let you go so easy. I'm going to make it tough for Pharaoh because he's predispositioned to not want to let you go. He's the king. He don't want to listen. And ten plagues later, after the plague of the firstborn, Pharaoh's ready to get him out of here. And they load the people up with all the goods and silver and money Get them out of Egypt. They're, they're just bad news for us. And so Moses leads the people out. Now, I don't think we should really say Moses. Moses was the human, but God was leading. Moses was just following, following orders. And they get into the promised land, and the people are grumbling. Now, if I'd have been Moses, I'd have wanted to kill him myself. You just got out of Egypt where you've been a slave and oppressed 
And every time you turned around, you were getting your tail kicked for something you didn't have any reason to be getting it kicked for. God got you out. He brought you through the Red Sea and destroyed Egypt's army. You didn't have to lift a hand to do it. And yet they're whining and bellyaching against Moses because they don't have meat to eat. They don't have water. They don't have this. They don't have that. They've had plenty of it, otherwise they wouldn't be able to be, and they'd all be dead. And God gets sick of it. He's ready to kill them. But Moses prays for them. He intercedes on their behalf. Quite a guy. Well, they're about ready to enter the promised land, and they want to send out scouts. They send out 12, one from each tribe, spy out the land of the Canaanites, see what kind of cities and what kind of people and what kind of food. And they bring back clusters of grapes that are too big for anyone to carry. They had to have them on a pole between two people. But there were giants in the land. And they were scared of them, all but Caleb and Joshua. They those are the only two out of the 12 said we can take the land with God's help. And the rest of them were scared. Didn't want to follow orders. I can see why God was ready to kill them. Because of all that, as Moses gets older and doesn't enter the promised land, because he made one little mistake along the way, didn't, didn't ruin his salvation. He just didn't get to the promised land. Joshua becomes the leader of the people. Joshua leads them into the promised land. One at a time. They take it. And as Joshua is getting towards the end of his rule or his leadership, he speaks to the people. And I want to tell you, I want to read to you what he said. If I can find it. Yeah, there we are. Verse 16 from Joshua 24. The people replied, We would never forsake the Lord or worship other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who had rescued us and our ancestors from the slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we traveled through and drove out the other Ammonites yeah, and all the other nations living in the land, so we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. And Joshua says a little later, Choose this day whom you will serve. Will it be those gods or will it be the living God? But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth are the ones that you wanted. No more, no less. 
and that our understanding will be how well you are, that if we learn to trust and follow your orders and obey, things will go the way they're supposed to. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.